Welcome to the podcast, the destination for insightful discussions and interviews on the appreciation, conservation, and husbandry of reptiles with a focus on turtles and tortoises. Now, let's join our team of turtle nerds. Hello, everybody. Welcome. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. Before anybody says anything, we are, we were just talking about updating the lead in, the intro to the video intro to to the podcast. So we'll be working on that real really soon. Uh, I'm Anthony. Hello, pod, podcast episode 94. We're really doing it. We're here. Uh, of course, here with our new host for her second show, Emily. Hi, Emily. Hi. Say hi to everybody. Hello. Hi, go. everyone. And uh, we have our esteemed, uh, wonderful guest, Brian Kleinman. Yes. Oh, thank you so much. Yes. It's thank you, you so yeah. much for having me. Yeah. From, thank you. from Riverside Reptiles Education Center. We talked about you guys a lot last uh, last show because we had uh, Dr. Monahan on and he talked about uh, places he had visited. And then, you know, obviously with that being Emily's first show, we talked a lot about uh, Riverside Reptiles. So it made sense to have you come on and we could really talk to the person behind this wonderful new uh Still, still new. I'm, I'm sure it seems like you've been at it for a little while, but uh, this yeah. wonderful new facility that you've worked so hard to to bring to fruition, so we can kind of dive deep into what that's like. I think a lot of people will really be excited to hear about that process. Yeah, yeah. Well, well thank you so much for having me. Um, hello to all your viewers. Um, well, yeah, Riverside Reptiles, well, the education center has always been on the back of my mind ever since I started Riverside Reptiles educational outreach programs back in uh, 2003, actually. Uh, I just came off a job at the Children's Museum in West Hartford, and um, I, I, I hated to leave that job because I, I loved it so much. I, we had um, mountain lions there, we had lynx, bobcat, um, birds of prey, uh, and lots and lots of reptiles, um, including uh, rattlesnakes and copperheads and boa constrictors and lizards. Um, and I was the animal curator there. But um, unfortunately, sometimes the best jobs, you know, don't pay enough to survive on. Uh, and, that, and I just got married and I wanted to buy a house. So I, I had to move on, unfortunately. And um, a lot of people don't notice about me, but I actually fell back on my artistic talent. I became a tattoo artist for a while. Um, I was actually oh, interesting. Yeah, I was actually a professional tattoo artist for um, for 14 years. Um, even when I did Riverside Reptiles at the very beginning, I still tattooed on the side to to make ends meet. Um, but my wife and I, we had a, a two bedroom apartment, so I converted. Uh, one of the bedrooms into the reptile room. And then I just, um, you know, started doing local birthday parties and just trying to get my name out there. And the first year in business, I did about 60 programs in 2003. Um, and in 2004, I doubled that. And by 2005, 2006, I was doing over 200 programs a year. Um, it kind of just blew up. And then uh, we purchased our, our first house and then my wife, uh, Sarah, she's super supportive of my business and she helps out a lot kind of behind the scenes and giving me advice and everything. Um, but she let me take the whole half of the downstairs and make it to like a reptile room. So, um, you know, I moved all the animals there. I was able to get more animals and expand my programs. Um, 
then my, my end game was always to, to have a facility where people could visit because people would come over to my house and that would be like their trip for the day because my house was like a zoo. So they come and hang out at my zoo, that my basement zoo. And, um, you know, I take the animals out and they check them out and I teach them about the animals. Um, so fast forward to 2019, um, I was finally able to, to get enough money collected. Um, I, uh, I got a loan from a bank, which by the way, that was a nightmare, especially when you're trying to start a new business. It's tough enough, but when you go to the bank and you say, hey, I want to open up a reptile zoo, you get a lot of weird looks. Um, <laughs> Can't even imagine. Uh, it was it was a roller coaster ride. Like I had a, my father is an accountant and his, uh, he's got a really good friend who, his net worth is like, I don't know, over like $50 million. I mean, he was like a banker or something. I mean, he, and he helped me put together a business proposal and he did a phenomenal job. Even the banker said, I've never seen a business proposal so good. And then they said, we're not going to give you $300,000 to start a reptile zoo. Um, so what I had to do was I had to cut that in half. And I finally found a bank that was willing to work with me. Um, so I, I leased a spot, um, started building and, um, you know, here we are now. I mean, the building process, I'm sure, I think Emily had some questions about that. I'm sure you do as well. Um, it had its ups and downs. It wasn't the easiest thing. In fact, it was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life was, was building a reptile zoo. Um, but um, yeah, here we are. We, we survived COVID. We, we're, we're, we're doing pretty good now. And um, I'm really looking forward with the, to what the future is going to bring. I was thrilled a couple of weeks ago to be able to come in and visit and to see and and there were a good amount of people there and and I got to see you in person sorry in action really doing what you're so we had had so many conversations in the past but I never got to actually see you right. doing the educational piece and I was there with my wife and daughters and uh, we had a, a, an action packed like hour when we were there and that was it that my kids have no stamina and then my wife is all covid conscious and everything she's like let's get out of here because there were actually a lot of people and uh but you were so yeah. lovely because you came uh you came out and and you brought a snake for for the girls to see uh and uh, a king snake and i was like oh man brian told me how busy he was and then he takes this snake out for my kids and then there's a line they just start lining up like it's a mall santa claus and now there's yeah. there's like 50 kids that want to see the snake. And you sat there. You were so patient. I was hanging out with you while you were talking to kids. And you, you just have such a, uh, an amazing way about you. And, you know, I like to think Thank that you. I'm all about education and all about, you know, people and, and shaking hands and kissing babies and all of that. But but to see you in action was something that was really impressive to me and really awesome to see. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. You know, as a as a small business owner, you really have to represent your business. I mean, you are the face of your business, or at least, you know, not throwing COVID into the mix, but <laughs> usually two years, three years. I mean, but you always have to make a presence there and you have to represent your business. You can't always, you know, rely on, you know, too much help from your employees all the time because you're asking a lot of them in the first to do a lot of things in the first place. But you really have to be the face of your of your business. Um, so I'm always out there interacting as, as much as I possibly can. 
Um, I know I catch a lot of flack from it because I kind of avoid other tasks sometimes. Um, Emily, I'm sure you can attest to that, that I, uh, <laughs> I should be doing something like building exhibits, but then mm -hmm. I'll go, I see people, I'll go grab an animal. I'm like, hey, you, you want to meet an alligator? You want to meet a snake? Um, and it's really good for, especially for people visiting the first time. I mean, I want to give them, I want to give everybody a great experience there, but especially people visiting for the first time, I want them to go, wow, this is a really cool place. The staff was awesome. They answered all my questions. They were very patient with my three and five-year-old. Um, and I definitely recommend this place to everybody. And um, so, you know, first impressions are, are very important, especially as a small business owner. Yeah, I think that happens a lot um, where there'll be a lot of things that we have to do in a day. And um, I mean, Anthony, you've met Brian in person, you know, he is one of the kindest people you will ever meet. And that's not just for show. He's truly like that to every guest that comes in. Um, so I'll be like, Brian, this is what I need in a day. And he'll be like, okay, I'll start working on it. And then four hours later, he's still out on the floor engaging with guests and taking animals out. And I'm just like, did you do anything today? And he's just like, there was a lot of guests today. <laughs> Wow, he's really he's really lucky to have you. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> keeping him in, keeping him straight. I, like I need that. I I just I need that. And the people in my life, both professional and otherwise, who are there to kind of keep me in check are so important. But you know, I, I just I can't help but when when you guys talk about being on the floor in the milieu, mingling with the guests, talking to them, educating them, I think back to myself at the Bronx Zoo as an eight-year-old seeing an, uh, the large alligator snapper for the first time and and how that changed my life. I'd always been obsessed with turtles. Ninja turtles were a thing and, and I had pet turtles that were from around Connecticut, but I didn't realize the diversity that existed outside of, of my little box. And uh, being able to be there and see that one animal changed everything for me. And, you know, to think about the countless interactions that you're having that could turn into someone being the next Brian or the next Emily because they met one of you guys when they were there. Is that something that you think about often? I feel like I'd be thinking about that every day. I, I do, for sure. Um, you know, you, you mentioned the, the snapping of the Bronx Zoo. I mean, my animal was uh, a garter snake that I caught at my house when I was I don't even know. Like it's one of my first memories. Like maybe five, four or five. I I went around the corner of the garage and there was this big garter snake sitting, you know, right there in the in the we had like a little sand pit, just sitting there sunning itself. And I, you know, I used to watch like uh, Mutual Omaha and like I think a Wild America on TV. So I used to see people catch snakes. So I went down and I grabbed it. It swung around and bit me. I dropped it, screamed, and, and ran inside. Um, but I wasn't, I wasn't scared. I was scared at the moment, but then I was more inquisitive. I wanted to learn more about the snake and like, why did it bite me? And why is it there? And I mean, that kind of, you know, started my fascination with, with reptiles. Um, but uh, yeah, that's, that's my first memory. Emily, what's yours? What got I was going to ask her too. Yeah. Actually, yeah, what was it? my first experience with reptiles was really similar to yours. I was out in the yard and I was making like a, a teepee out of sticks and um, I picked up a stick and it was a garter snake and I did the same thing. I screamed and dropped it and ran inside and got my mom. Um, 
but I actually had a dad who was obsessed with animals and he was a really big herp guy. Um, so we had a lot of frogs growing up in the house, um, mm-hmm. which is weird because I don't like frogs now, but that's what got me into <laughs> reptiles. So here did I am. She, did she mention that in the other podcast that she scared, she's scared of frogs? No, that hadn't come up yet. Scared is a strong word too. That's awesome. No, okay. Okay. Let me not scared, not scared. She's hesitant around frogs. Uh, she, frogs you hit, unenthusiastic. Enthusiastic. I really don't love bullfrogs. That's it's bullfrogs specifically because I like the mossy frogs and the dirt frogs, but yeah. bullfrogs have a lot of teeth. And I was bitten by one, and I will remember that till the day I die. <laughs> <laughs> this, this makes me so happy. I can't even tell you. Frogs are slimy, to be fair. This I is terrific. bitten by yeah. alligators, oh and I'm not afraid of them. But a frog one yeah. time bit me, and I'm still upset about it. You never saw it coming. No, I didn't. You know, you're expecting Kermit. There was and so then much you blood. It was... The rat. Wow. <laughs> African bullfrog, wow. they have really razor sharp teeth. A lot of people don't know that. They can, and when they bite you, they don't let go, which is scary <laughs> because their mouths are like vice grips. It's almost impossible to open their mouth. You have to like twist your finger to get it out of their mouth, and it just makes your wound much worse yeah and they close so, their eyes and they push against you with their hands too to try and like rip your right, finger rip off. your finger right. yeah. <laughs> so this is an african bullfrog not a, not what we would be used to in america not well, what you know to. what american bullfrogs would do that to you too but african bullfrogs they have the the larger they're teeth. bigger right oh yeah african yeah yeah that's it that's interesting see that's what's so cool too about your knowledge guys it's, it's so broad given given what your you know what your client, like what you bring to your clientele. And that's another question I wanted to ask too, given your experience and, and I guess kind of now, and then also, cause there are also people who a lot of people want to do what you've done, Brian, right? Mm-hmm. Like you, well, I think what you've built is really for a lot of people, a pinnacle in this world uh, that we love so much and, and really something that I think a lot of people would aspire to kind of as a pipe dream but i think something more realistic that a lot of people do are able to get off the ground is kind of like the the traveling birthday parties and the shows and things like that where they're actually bringing animals to people and that's something you have a lot of experience with as well so i'm wondering somebody getting started out in that realm are there certain species that you know people really want to see or that really leave a, a lasting impact with people more surprise species or, or something that's yeah. kind of foolproof. You got to have one of these, that sort of thing. Well, I mean, what I've learned is that it's not as much as the species you use. It's you. It's your the presenter. If you can do a good program and you're animated and you're knowledgeable and you're good with kids and good with um, everybody, the, the whole audience, um, it doesn't matter what animals you use. I mean, you can use the most common things. You can use a bearded dragon. You can use a ball python. You can use leopard gecko. You can use like any animal that you'd find at a local pet store and do a 45-minute program. But as long as you present it in a way that's informative and educational and entertaining, um, you're golden and people will love you. Um, but <laughs> once you get to that level and you want to like really wow the crowd and like uh you know get people talking about stuff like you can't go wrong with like like big animals um 
Yeah, that was that was my thought and question. Yeah, I used um, I had a python named Percy. Um, I rescued in 1999. Actually, my mom rescued it from one of her students. My mom was a teacher at a high school, and she overheard one of her students saying that after school he was going to kill this snake and come over to come over to my house and we'll make a thing of it. And my mom just walked right into the middle of the conversation, and she looked at him right in the eyes and said, "You're not killing this snake." Give me your address. I'm coming to your house after school and I'm taking it from you. And she did. And then she called me up because I was at college at the time. She's like, I just rescued this six foot python. She didn't even know what it was. She's like, it's at the, it's at the, she's like, it's at the house. Um, come home this weekend so you can set it up. So I came home. It was um, a six foot uh, Burmese python. And he had, he was in a, like a 30 gallon tank like crammed in this 30 gallon tank that had heating pad um, wow. on the bottom and his, his uh, ventral scales had all second degree burns on him. He was really skinny. Um, so I put him in a nice large uh, vision enclosure um, and uh, nursed him back to health. And he was just, you know, it's, it's amazing that, you know, how much abuse the snake probably got from this kid. He didn't feel like, you know, I was to bl- or any human sort of blame because he was the nicest snake ever. Um, wow. he, he eventually grew to about 13 feet in, in his prime. He was about 75, 80 pounds. Um, unfortunately, he passed away um, last year, right, Emily? It was 2022 mm-hmm. when he, he passed mm-hmm. away. Yeah. We never knew his exact age, but he was in his late 20s, close to 30 years old. Um, but if you look back on all my pictures from all my reptile programs, there's probably a gazillion of them out there of me holding Percy or <laughs> like kids sitting on the ground of Percy wrapped around him. Um, he was a great ambassador. So to get back to your original question, um, yeah, if you're gonna wow the crowd, uh, big snakes, even a boa constrictor is good, uh, but know your animal first uh, mm-hmm. before, you, before you put them on a kid's lap or anything, I mean, that's another very important thing we can dive into later, but um, uh, you definitely have to trust your animals and be able to read behaviors. I mean, Emily is probably the the, the best person I know that uh, that is, uh, can read animal behavior, especially snake behavior. Um, so I, you, I trust her 100% when we're going into handle venomous snakes or going into the reticulated python or anaconda cage because she can tell me if the snake is... <laughs> looking for a bite to eat or if it's just being inquisitive and, and just um, curious. Sometimes. That's high praise. Yeah. Sometimes Brian's just like, are you sure? And I'm like, the way her face is, I'm telling you, she's going to give us problems and we'll go into an enclosure and then the snake will come out teeth first. And he's just like, you're right. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) You're definitely right. (laughs) Wow. That's awesome. (laughs) <laughs> what a skill to have. What a great in- endorsement from, from Brian. I love it. That's awesome. So uh, Percy was actually, oh, sorry. Um, no, please Percy go ahead. Was actually the first animal that I met at Riverside before I worked here, years before I oh, worked yeah. here. Um, remember, it was Green Chimneys, I think. Yeah, New York, and Brewster, had, New York, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Brian had a big tent and he had a bunch of reptiles and I went over and I was like, hey, I like snakes. And he was just like, this is Percy. <laughs> Um, and then I think it was like five years later and I worked for him. So, wow. Yeah. That's amazing. My world. Yeah. What does that interview look like? Like, you're like, Hey, do you remember me? I was in <laughs> Brewster, New York. 
or what does that look like? How does that happen? I think, I, I think you did mention that. I'm pretty I sure did. you did. So actually, this is like kind of weird because um, Brian gets a lot of fangirls, but I swear I'm not one. Um, <laughs> he was wearing this shirt and it had a bunch of snakes on it. And I think I was like, hey, I like your shirt. Where'd you get it? And he was just like, I got it at this website. So I went home and I got myself that same shirt. And then he wore that to the interview, not knowing that I was the, <laughs> the girl who like was obsessed with his shirt. And I was like, I actually have that shirt now. That shows dedication. Yeah. She's either really creepy or <laughs> that, would mean, that would mean though that she would be either really creepy or really dedicated, right? Luckily it's the, it's the latter, but the pretty latter, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. That's so cool. Thankfully, yeah. You know, when you were talking about the size of animals for shows, I, that's something that I really think is important too. I, as somebody, I love to do educational outreach and talk to people, but I live in Connecticut and I have a finite amount of space. This is something I've talked about ad nauseum on the podcast before. I, I specialize in smaller turtle species. I don't have right. rescue sulcatas or, or aldabra tortoises or, you know, really these really big iconic species um are having historically and uh it's the the sixth small turtle species in a row and they're like okay we get it you have small you get, it's like you know it's another turtle i get it <laughs> oh that one has a hinge okay cool uh it's not the same thing as like and here's the alligator snapper or you know um so th that's de something that i definitely think is important as well uh, and that I, I talk to people about from time to time yeah, I mean, it's important, but um, you came to do a presentation for our interns. Um, hopefully you come back again and, and do another presentation uh, this Tell summer. Tell me when. But, um, but you're an awesome presenter. You're, again, it doesn't matter what you're really showing. You, you communicate well. Um, you're full of knowledge and you're funny, which is a big thing. I mean, I do a lot of stupid, corny jokes in all my presentations, mm. and right. my staff has heard it so much. I mean, they just—I mean—they roll their eyes every time they hear it, and I, I can hear them, you know, moaning that I'm doing the same joke over and over again. <laughs> and I, I know they're stupid, and I—but you're perfecting get, your craft. I'm perfecting my craft, but it gets good response from the audience all the time. Right. You know, uh, so. Again, you could be holding a king cobra, you could be holding a corn snake. As long as you're a good presenter, people will like it and people will be impressed by it. I love that. I don't bring king cobras to outreach programs, but I don't do that. Right. <laughs> and you guys have, I, would, I, would, I would if Emily let me. No. <laughs> no. She's okay. man. She I was going to cut right. you off when you said that, when you were like, you could I'm, be holding I'm checking it off my list like, right no. here. <laughs> she is running things. You guys are going to do some big things, man. <laughs> I'm so, so proud to know you guys. I love it. Um, so you had mentioned, oh, what do we touch on that, that you said we talk about later? Do you remember what that was? I wanted so to go into that next. challenges uh, for opening a reptile zoo. I think that was one of the things you mentioned. That's what I mentioned yeah. before we came on, isn't it? Mm -hmm. I think so. Yeah. I, I mean, I definitely want to talk about that because I think, Again, you've you've accomplished something that so few people are able to do. So please, uh, like, the yeah. yeah the the ins and outs, if you can, of, of kind of what that what that transition was like. And, and, yeah, and I'll, I'll kind of uh, I'll kind of sum it up because I know this is only an an hour long podcast because um, I could probably talk three hours or more about 
what not to do if you're <laughs> building your own reptile zoo. Um, but I remember I went to, when I first had the idea of doing this, I went to Clyde Peeling's Reptiland, which is in, um, I think it's in Allentown, Pennsylvania. And um, I wrote to a bunch of reptile zoos um, when, I, when I was first brainstorming, because I wanted to talk to someone who actually did this before. And Clyde was the only one who wrote back to me. So thankfully he was in Pennsylvania. So I drove to see him and I, I saw him at least three times um, from, I think it was 2008 till 2019. I just got, he kept going back and forth and picking his brain more and getting behind the scenes and seeing how he built stuff. But I'll never forget when I was in his office and he's looking at me, he's like, you sure you really want to do this? I'm like, I'm like, yeah, I, I really, I really want to do this. He's like, he looks at me again. He's like, are you sure you really <laughs> want to do this? So I'm like, I'm like, I'm, I'm definitely going for it. I, I never give up. I never quit in anything I do. Um, but now I know what he meant when he, he kept asking me, do you really want to do this? Because it was literally the hardest thing I ever did in my life. Um, Thankfully, I have the skills to build a lot of things. So I saved a lot of money by building most of the enclosures um, and building out a lot of the space. I mean, I probably saved well over 100000 by doing that. Um, but dealing with co contractors, I don't do electric electricity. I'm scared of electricity. Um, so thankfully, I have an awesome electrician. Um, plumbers and everything, but dealing with towns and building permits and trying to explain to guys who build boats for a living, how to build me a fiberglass venomous snake enclosure. Um, or trying to, uh, I contracted a guy to help me build panels for the, we call them the panel rooms. Um, we had a big CNC router. So we designed them on the computer. He cut them out for me. I put them together. Uh, but trying to explain how it has, you know, how the, the certain design and everything. It was a bit, bit challenging, but just the sheer amount of building I did. I mean, I didn't see my family uh, about two years. I mean, they saw me as I you know, slapped on the floor as I came home at like 11 o'clock at night and then woke up at like 5 in the morning and back to the country. There were some nights where I was just stay there and sleep over. I needed to turn a patient to. I was just, you know, two or three quarters. And this is a 13,000 square foot building. It's pretty big. It has a lot of walls. So I, I stay there and sleep to like two in the morning. Um, it was always fun. Uh, I, one night, it's a funny story. I was painting. It's like two in the morning, and I forgot to lock the front door. And I hear a guy's voice come in. Some guy came off the street. He was intoxicated. And he was trying to convince me to let him come in and start doing electrical work. Um, that was uh, that was uh, pretty fun. Oh, can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah. I, okay. I, it just it got a little muffled for a second. I'm like, oh, no. Is it my internet? Do I need mm -hmm. to expect people not to be able to hear me or... But that's okay. It came back. It came back. And and, and and it wasn't really out. I could still understand the story and everything. I, I think, you know, touching on that, Brian, yeah. your, your ability to build those enclosures, like, can't be understated. I think 
that's the thing that that Riverside has that's so special. First of all, it's so spacious. Like you have a, a really large space, but you used it well. You weren't like 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 my turtle room is like let me build floor to ceiling. Let me stack as many things in here. So mm -hmm. if I have two visitors, we're going to be uncomfortable, like the three of us in there, like standing and viewing what's there. Like every right. square inch is utilized, which which is unfortunate. It's not something that I'm proud of. I, I mean, my my deal is just I want to hatch turtles. That's all I want to do. So mm -hmm. that's, everything just kind of comes down to that. And you guys haven't seen my place yet, but I assume you will at some point. Yeah. Uh, We'd love but, to. you know, yeah. it's 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 just a, a whole different mindset and um and and goal for what you're trying to do and i think given what your goal is you're not you're not making any any decisions where you seem like you haven't really committed to the matter at hand like like you you guys just from walking in and seeing and smelling the place you can tell that it's different than a lot of the places out there like like there are big AZA institutions where you can walk into a reptile area and smell the animals or smell the area. Like Riverside does not have a smell. Doesn't. I mean, I'm sure there are times certain animals and stuff, but I, I've been there several times yeah, so and the place doesn't then, smell. Yeah, it's yeah I think like we all have noses like bloodhounds. So if we walk by an enclosure and it smells, we're just like, get it, clean it now. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that we have an excellent animal care staff. They're always, you know, you know, always <laughs> looking for for uh, anything that might be out of the ordinary, and they do uh, they do a great job cleaning and keeping the animals healthy. It it totally shows. And and we have this question here. So, uh, if you had unlimited resources, is there a top limit to what you are comfortable with interacting with, presenting with? Is there? I mean, I'd assume that the answer to that is no. For like you're, I mean. You're Steve Irwin to me, as uh, like, and I, I know I know that everybody Steve Irwin isn't everybody's favorite, but I'm sorry, I'm the age where I grew up with him, and I appreciate him. Yeah, I can, as an adult, I could see his faults now, but um, yeah, wh what's what's your limit? Um, there really isn't for me, at least. I don't have any animals that I'm really not comfortable. Well, any reptiles or amphibians or invertebrates that I'm not comfortable with. Um, yeah, I, I'm pretty good with, with most of them. I mean, handling venomous snakes, I really don't use them for, for educational programs. Um, I, I have a special acrylic box that I, I'll put a copperhead in once in a while, but I typically don't free handle any venomous in front of people. It's just too, it's way too risky. Or in um, general. Or in general. Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> it's not necessary, right? I think. Maybe maybe that type of show and pizzazz is is what and and its proximity to, to to Disney World is what made Gatorland so popular in other places. But Enfield isn't necessarily necessarily the vacation capital of the world. But no. it's not about extra unsafe, over the top presentation. The animals though are over the top in terms of of what type of cool species. Like, I can't remember where I've seen spitting cobras before. And, like, that's the one that stands out in my mind. You have so many cool things. Like, Kevin goes in there, and he's obsessed with, with the Gila monster. I I see the, the spitting cobra, and it just, like, wow. Like, that's not something that you see every day. 
Yeah, he's, he's an awesome snake. So when I was trying to figure out animals to to exhibit there, it wasn't the easiest thing because I, I find them all fascinating, but I only had limited space. And since I decided to build enclosures on the larger side to give the animals more, you know, more room, I, I mean, we could have crammed twice as many species in there, but it wouldn't have been healthy for the animals. Um, and it would have been easy for, for the animal care team either. But I, I always want to give the animals the largest possible exhibit, pos or the largest place to live possible, because um, in the long run, it makes them a lot, lot healthier. Um, and they act, they act normal. They act, you know, uh, more like they would in the wild if they, if they feel safe and they have a large exhibit and a place they, they can retreat as well. So a lot of people always mention like how active our animals are. It's because they feel safe in their enclosure. Uh, you've you go. you yeah. got some pictures Let's going go on. Let's go through. All right, this is Emily. She, Emily, Emily took that photograph. Brian took that photograph. That's one of our Wilmas uh, biting Emily in the arm. Yeah, that's my bingo arm. Um, I was working with an intern and, or no, a volunteer, and I didn't want to alarm her, but I had just been bitten by the Wilma. So she had my left hand wrapped and then she bit my right arm. So I couldn't get my walkie. And I was just like, I asked my volunteer, can you please walkie Brian? So she held the button for me and I was like, Brian, it's not an emergency, but when you have a moment, can you please come to the back room? Because the Wilma won't let me go. And he, he just started laughing and he came back, he pulled out his camera and he took a bunch of pictures and uh, yeah, it, it did bruise. So. <laughs> oh my gosh, that is terrific. Yeah. You're there smiling. Oh, it, it yeah, can't be right? that bad. It's, it's like a, like, like a battle scar in a good way, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It scarred. It actually did. A little oh my gosh. That's wild. Yeah. Here's uh, Emily We're going pretty quick, but here's Emily doing a station training with our, uh, eight foot alligator, Brenda. Uh, I named her after my mom. She's a little over eight feet and weighs about 200 pounds. Um, and Emily does a great job uh, at station training her. We should be training her more, but she's on a diet right now. But yes. um, Love it. Yeah. And again, talking about enclosure size, that is a, a huge enclosure. That is a, the size of a family's pool. And I mean, you know, if, if that's at a zoo or, or down south or something, it's got like 14 alligators in it. Yeah. I mean, I originally built it for two alligators. They're still trying to get a large, larger male to come up. Um, it's not easy to find a, a nine to 10 foot alligator, a male alligator um, in Connecticut, but hopefully we'll get one soon. But the enclosure is about as close, just under a thousand square feet with a, a 8,000 gallon pool, concrete pool. Um, that's heated in the winter for her. So she's got it all to herself right now. That, you know, a lot of alligators aren't that lucky. That's pretty awesome. Here's some of our uh, reticulated pythons. Oh, is that Jane? That's Jane, yeah. Oh. Jane, Jane unfortunately passed away uh, last year. Uh, the albino one, which mm. was a, a real bummer for me because I raised her from a baby. Mm. Um, but she had a, a stomach issue and she was incubating her eggs at the, at the time. We let them incubate their own eggs. Um, so we didn't notice how her belly was distended until it was too late. And she unwrapped and we, I called the vet, but the day 
but the next day she was unfortunately deceased. And you always with, use veterinary care too, which is something that I, I think a lot of reptile people don't do enough as somebody in the yeah. veterinary field. That's something you and I have talked about a, a, a lot. So when you say that, I know that it's true. And I just want our, our viewers to know that as well, that, you know, people go online and ask, what should I do? Usually the answer is talk to a vet, but you right. always do it. Yeah. This is, uh, this is Ghost, our albino red-eared slider. This is uh, okay. doing yoga I pose. A, I just want to make a disclaimer here. I just want to say something, okay? Okay. I love albino sliders, okay? I said it, all right? I just want everyone to know this right now because no. I think I, there's so much there's so much negativity around, like, the albino stuff and, and uh, the purists usually, and then – Sliders now, albino sliders are becoming very common and, and the market has just about dropped out and, and there's no real demand left anymore. Uh, but I'll tell you, like this, to see an adult albino slider, because they get good size and they have, yeah. they turn from that lemon yellow when they're younger to that like pale yellow. Uh, to see one like this that, that doesn't have a bunch of algae on it, like I love seeing this turtle, I always do. <laughs> Oh, you come back in the summer. She's, yeah, come she's back little, in the summer. <laughs> she's, she's a little green because she she's outside. But you clean um, her up though, because it's not yeah, there in the winter. Like if it was me, I just leave it, and it would be. I'd be like, no, that turtle is yellow. You just can't see that it's yellow. That's what I would be telling people who visited my place. <laughs> All but, of our turtles in our outdoor pond are actually station trained, so we only feed them in one specific spot, and um, we'll just periodically pick them up, flip them over, check the bottom of their shell. Um, look, make sure they've got all their toes. They're not, um, no injuries on them, uh, no eye injuries, especially. Um, and we do that on purpose so that in the case of ghost, for example, if she's covered in algae, we can just give her a quick shell scrub, um, help her out a little bit. Love it. Yeah. And she's got the great, ghost has the best personality. She actually crawls into Emily's lap and just like eats the food out of the little container. Yeah. She's, <laughs> she, it's hilarious to watch like a, a full grown red-eared slider do that. Yeah, and she's blind. <laughs> That's so cool. I mean, you know, they're popular for many reasons, including the fact that they're easy to, to breed in large numbers. But, you know, people people have liked them for and kept them for so many decades for a reason. Uh, right. Steve says, why don't we describe station training in a little more detail for the audience? Oh, okay. Um, so station training, we mentioned that earlier with Brenda, and um, we do it with actually a lot of our animals, it is we have the animals trained to always go to one spot to be fed. And that's particularly helpful uh, in the example with Brenda, for example, if you have an eight foot alligator kind of going around the enclosure willy nilly when you're trying to maintenance it, it can be potentially dangerous. Um, so when we need to clean the inside of her glass, for example, what Brian will do is he'll go in or well, I'll go in first, I'll station train her um, get her to go to one area and she just stays in one spot and I give her a bunch of rewards and then Brian will go around and clean all of her glass and then when he needs to clean the other side of the room I'll call her over to me and she comes really well when uh, we call her name and then he'll clean the other side we'll give her a big jackpot reward for finishing all of the training and then um, it was perfectly safe and she got some mental stimulation. She got a big food reward. It was associating us with a positive thing. Um, so station training is one of like the more basic training behaviors that we do with a lot of our animals. 
What percentage do you think you're, you're station training out of everything? Hmm. That's a good question. Um, I know we do it with some of all of the pond turtles outside are station trained. Um, we do it with some of our lizards as well. Um, so if we have a lizard that is always going to come at you when you open the door, like our big water monitor, Salvatore, um, if we always have him go into the water to eat or if we tong feed him, then we know he's not always expecting food to come from one area. So uh, let's see what percentage. I would say maybe like, I don't know, would you say 25, 30% of them? Because a lot of the, we have a lot of snakes too, and those guys are definitely mm -hmm. not station trained. Oh, all yeah, of our dark not. frogs are too, kind of. We always yeah, they, they kind of are. Yeah, yeah, I think 20% 20, 20 is good, good yeah. estimate. That's cool. I mean, it's a lot when you consider how many animals you guys have. Yeah, is that the Cuvier's? <laughs> is that the Cuvier dwarf caiman? Yes, I love that. So cool that they're named after him too. I um, I love them. I spend a lot of time staring at them, probably more than any turtle when I was there <laughs> last time. We're just saying something because yeah. I'm normally like one trick pony. I'm there I, it, no matter where I'm going. I'm there for the turtles. Yeah, I mean, if I, there's I no turtles, then I just would rather not be there. But you know, sometimes, <laughs> as an adult, I have to do things that don't yeah. that don't involve turtles. I mean, they're so prehistoric looking out of all the crocodilians. I mean, they just have this big and large scoots on their back of their neck and on the tail. And to me, I mean, they, they just look, you know, dinosaur-esque. Yeah, totally. Totally. Jurassic Park. And they, how large do they get? Um, a big male, maybe four feet. Wow. Um, but typically, you know, typically three to four feet. I mean, there's always exceptions. Some get a little bit yeah. bigger, but most don't. That's so cool. That's really cool. Uh, you guys, I, I kept, I talked about how I'm a, I'm a one trick pony. You guys have a lot of turtles. And uh, I was wondering, Brian, did, as the curator, did you have anything to do with the, you said you worked at the children's museum. Did you have anything yes. to do with, with them having a, an entire area dedicated just to turtles? Yeah, actually. that's a pretty cool thing that is not something you see every day. And now at Riverside, you have a lot of turtles. Yeah, I helped build that when, um, when I was <laughs> that's there. That's incredible. Yeah, we, we put it together. And because uh, we had we had quite a few species there. We had a radiated tortoise. We had leopard tortoise. Yeah, um, not something you see in Connecticut all the time. I can remember seeing that radiated and just right, right. totally shocked, not expecting to see it there. And I think that's something that... Uh, Dr. Monahan said as well, like there are these diamond in the rough places like that. All it takes is somebody who who cares, uh, like yourself, to go through and and leave an impact on a place like that. Many kids have gone through and seen so many really cool turtles and and other species that they wouldn't have seen otherwise. Yeah, I mean, we, the Children's Museum had a pretty good collection of turtles there, yeah. um, and actually some of them I think are still around. Uh, we had a, a snapping turtle named Ginger. Um, which actually turned out to be a boy. <laughs> uh, when we first got him, he was about the size of uh, probably like the, the maybe a baseball. Um, but now he is one of the largest snapping turtles I've ever seen. He went to Roarenbrook Nature Center. Okay. And I think Ginger is now, I think almost 50 pounds. And that's a com it's a common snapping turtle. It's think this thing is massive. Yeah. It's huge. That's bigger than you normally find in the wild. The largest oh, yeah. that we found in 
in Connecticut and the, the studies that I've helped out with, which is not extensive. I'm not a field person, but normally like 42 pounds is like a big Connecticut snapper. So yeah, that's, a, that's a monster. In, yeah. That's a monster in Connecticut. I mean, yeah. ginger I'm, I'm sure is a little on the heavier side. Yeah. That's people, all right. That's okay. People feed them all the time, but yeah, no, yeah. it was a, it was a great turtle room. Um, you, you've been able to, to breed a few species um, we were talking about anacondas as well. You said that they hadn't bred this year, but they had bred in the past. Um, what, what are your, <coughs> excuse me, what are your thoughts on breeding in general and, and how often are you trying to breed the, the species that you have? Um, I, I really There's the large breed. enclosures we talked about. Sorry, Brian. There's it's the large enclosures for anyone who's watching. Uh, they're just, they're beautiful. They're planted. They're, they're gorgeous. Okay. Sorry. Continue. No. Yeah. Um, so I, I really want to try and breed the, the more rare species and, and the species that don't live for a long time, you know, so I'll, you know, some of the insects and invertebrates, um, we'll be opening a bug cave soon. Hopefully we just got a grant to, uh, to build it. So hopefully in the next month or two, we can start construction on the invertebrate display. Um, some, a lot of our breeding so far has been kind of accidental breeding. Uh, like our reticulated pythons, um, they laid eggs uh, in 2022. And just for fun, we let them incubate their own eggs because uh, it didn't really matter to me if they, if they hatched out or not. But um, we ended up hatching out 25 of them. And <laughs> everybody loved all? it. <laughs> yeah, so. Uh, well, what well, well, could have happened, I mean, they both, we had two females lay eggs and they both had like 25, 27 eggs. So it could have been a lot more. Um, but now we have, we have 15 baby reticulated pythons left and they're illegal for, for anybody to own. If you're not a zoo or a museum or, or a facility like ours, they're illegal to own in Connecticut and Massachusetts. Yeah. Um, so they're, they're tough to place. So I, we still have to place 15 of them. So that was, that's not going to happen again. It was cool. Um, we accidentally bred boa constrictors uh, a few years ago. Um, thankfully we were able to place all those guys. Uh, we bred our Brazilian rainbow boas, which was nice. That's great. That's a species that, you know, is always in, in demand, right? It's so, in demand. So it's not hard to find. Good right. For those Much guys. different than, than an accidental retic breeding. We actually thought uh, we had two females, but then we had babies and we were like, Oh, yep. okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, Parthenogenesis. It's yes. a snake thing, isn't it? <laughs> it's it's yeah, definitely it's a been, male, unfortunately. <laughs> it's been yeah. documented in, in anacondas and actually in the timber rattlesnake and copperheads. Um, so cool. So parthenogenesis is a reptile term, not a turtle term, hasn't been proven in any turtles, but that's when a female can can give birth. It's basically like cloning. And it was really cool in the in the newest um, Jurassic Park movie. They got into that a little bit, which I thought was cool. Like I was just reading about this. Um, so not something that us, us turtle nerds talk about a lot, but um, yeah, but yeah, they can actually produce young without having a mate, which is so cool. Yeah. So I wanted to ask now for you guys. Um, you see the, for lack of a better term, uglier side of the pet trade a lot because people know who you are. You have this notoriety. You have this big place with these expansive enclosures and someone's like, hey, I've got a red ear slider. These, it would be great there. Or I've got a three-toed box turtle or I have a ball python or I have a bearded dragon. 
yeah. they call you up. I want I want people to hear from you because I think anyone who's who keeps these types of animals and is into this ends up being known in their circle as a person who's interested in that. And we all end up taking in rescues. Mm-hmm. But I don't think people grasp, and I, I never really grasped until I got to know you better, the volume of, of animals coming your way. And I think there's this interesting juxtaposition between, you know, you saying you grew up as somebody who, who learned to love this, this, this world partly because of the pet trade, but then now get to see the ugly side of it now. And I just wonder how does that push and pull work for you and, and kind of where are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I'll, I'll let Emily answer this one and I'll, I'll chime in a little bit. Uh, she can definitely uh, attest to how many emails and calls we get for unwanted pets. Yeah, so um, as I mentioned before, uh, I wasn't lying, Brian really is one of the nicest people I've ever met. So people <laughs> walk in and they see that bleeding heart from a mile away and they just have to give him one sob story. And he's just like, I will take care of all of your problems. Um, so he is constantly uh, trying to sneak animals in and I have to be <laughs> the bulldog and I'm the gatekeeper and I have to be like, no. <laughs> um, so unfortunately the sad reality is um, I get maybe um, maybe at least minimum three to five times a week, someone will reach out. Um, and that's on the lighter end of it. And it is usually, uh, red eared slider, ball python, bearded dragon. And, um, it's almost always something along the lines of we're moving and we can't take this animal with us, or, um, we just can't take care of it anymore. Or my son went off to college and he doesn't yeah. want a snake anymore. Um, we do try to help everyone that we can, but unfortunately we just get so many calls. I think last week I had within one day, six red eared sliders that needed homes. So from, from how many different placements, from how many different people? Uh, it varies. It's weird because with red eared sliders, if they're a baby, it's usually in multiples because you go yeah. to the store, they're very small, they're very cute. And then people want to get multiples. Um, I think the other day we got, it was six yellow bellies and it was just from one person giving up all of these babies. So I think that was three different owners and they all wanted to surrender to Red Eared Slider. So that was kind of a rare day, but it does happen. And luckily right around Christmas time, it was pretty quiet. I think everyone was really thankful for what they had. But now since the new year has started, we've been getting inundated again. There's a lot of voicemails. I think, um, well, I won't show it to you because there's a bunch of phone numbers on here, but I have a whole uh, eight and a half by 11 sheet of just uh, people I have to call back and tell them, unfortunately, we can't take their animal. And I do feel really bad because we want to help as many people as we can. Yeah. You know, we're an education center, but we just can't take in everything. Yeah, that's too bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I definitely, you know, I don't discourage people from keeping reptiles as pets because that's how herpetologists are born. I mean, they... You know, they love these animals so much, they want to keep them in captivity, observe their behaviors and form relationships with these animals. And that's fine. I totally promote that. Um, the biggest thing is, is, you know, know what you're getting into, you know, especially turtles. I mean, turtles, you know, we call them investment pets because you get a baby turtle. I mean, chances are you, and you take proper care of it. 
um, you're going to have this animal for decades, you know, and possibly it might even outlive you. Right. Uh, so be prepared, and especially, you know, if it's one of the common species, you know, if it's a radiated slider or a Russian tortoise or, you know, no one's going to, you know, very few people are going to be able to take that turtle for you. Um, so definitely know what you're getting into. I mean, there's lots of great options out there now, um, opposed to when I was a kid in the late eighties, nineties, you know, green iguanas are the popular thing. Right. Um, and I, I had one that was loose in my room named Frodo and he, <laughs> he got to a nice five and a half, six feet. He was a monster. Um, thankfully he was a nice iguana, but I've heard of nightmares of, you know, iguanas attacking their owners. Um, right. but, but know what you're getting into. There's so many great options. Uh, now, you know, bearded dragons, leopard geckos, um, especially bearded dragons, because they typically live 10 to 12 years. So if you get your child a pet, um, you know, it's it's not going to, you know, last forever. Um, but here's another point I always want to bring up, because uh, I get this question a lot. A lot of people, a lot of parents come in, what's a good pet reptile for my kid? Um, number one, it's not going to be your child's pet. It's going to be your pet you're going to have responsibility to this animal. There's no child that's full, full, let me backtrack. Maybe there's a few kids out there that are responsible enough to, to take care of a, a pet reptile, but there's, they're far and few between. Yeah. Um, so essentially it's going to be the, the grown-up's responsibility to make sure this animal is cared for. Um, so a lot of people um, come to us, especially when their animals aren't doing well. They, um, I just got a, uh, an email the other day about someone had an iguana. Why isn't it eating? Why isn't it doing this? And what, you know, uh, so we always get those questions as well. You know, why is my leopard gecko dying? Well, you're probably not taking care of it the right way. That's my first guess. I know those um, are so tough, aren't they? Like, yeah, but we you, get, we you get can ask them questions for the next month, you know, repeat, right. like just throwing questions at them because there's so many things that go into it. Right. Tough to visualize if you can actually see everything and, and experience it. What are the temperatures like? Um, that, that's uh, that's great to hear because I think that sort of thing can can really I assume it can weigh on you. And I and 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 I have I'm not even going to start to to pretend that I've experienced what you guys have in terms of the volume of animals that are coming back your way or people trying to. Uh, but it's. It's, that's really rough, it's, and it's sad. It's a sad reality. Yeah, we, we get some um, animals that are confiscated as well from the state, you know, illegal uh, animals. Um, we, had, uh, we had a Western diamondback rattlesnake that wasn't technically confiscated. It was surrendered before it could be confiscated. Um, Wyatt, we named them Wyatt, right, Emily? Same yeah. Yeah. He's a cute little Western diamondback rattlesnake. Oh, he's so cute. He's my actual biological son. I will not hear otherwise. He's so cute. <laughs> That's not weird. It's okay. No, That's not no. weird. That's he, is a very, he is a very cute snake. And, to, you know, Wyatt is one of those rare Western diamondbacks. For me, at least, every Western diamondback I've worked with is a little twitchy, very nervous. Um, but he's... He's more an inquisitive snake. You know, when we're in the back room, I could, if I look in there, he's always like peeking around the corner, checking people out. Um, we've gotten Eastern box turtles, quite a few of Eastern box turtles that have been confiscated. All right. um, oh, uh, yeah, we, um, an alligator gar, which is a, a prehistoric looking fish. 
he was confiscated. I didn't even know it was illegal to keep Gar in Connecticut, but evidently it is. Oh, I didn't uh, know that either. I really like Gar. I didn't know that they were illegal to keep. Yeah, I mean, I see him in pet stores all the time, but I talked to the state, and the reason why they're illegal is because there are some species of gar, I believe, like short nose and long nose that can tolerate colder temperatures. I think you could find them up in Great Lakes in upper state New York and uh, Pennsylvania. Uh, and they could tolerate, like, if someone dumped them in the Connecticut River, uh, they might be able to survive. And pretty much all baby gar, all, all of the fingerlings gar, they are almost identical. So it's hard to tell them apart. So they just made they just made all gar illegal. Um, yeah, in Connecticut. that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. They don't I want things happening. Fish, yeah. It's funny they haven't uh, outlawed the spiny softshell turtle or softshell turtles yet, because um, <laughs> those live in East Hartford now. Um, yeah, they, well, there. Uh, someone sent me a picture of a spiny softshell from Suffield, from the Connecticut yeah. River. Yeah, they go, they go and uh, someone sent me a picture in Windsor. Someone sent me a pic in Enfield of a big female spiny softshell cruising the top yeah. of the water, but they're. Yeah. They're not, I wouldn't consider them an invasive species. They're definitely introduced species, but they're not invasive like the red-eared slider. So the red-eared slider definitely takes over an area and pushes the, the painteds and the other um, and the other turtles out uh, because they're bigger, more aggressive, and they essentially take over an area. The the spiny soft shell kind of, kind of goes underneath the radar. I don't, it really impacts a lot of wildlife, at least not yet, and I don't think you can correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think the reproductive rate is as high as a red-eared slider either. So I don't think it's they can come to it. It's tough to know what would happen, like what what's happening here. And, and I feel like it, it's like anything else. I think sometimes the impact is tough to tell early on. Even red ears, right. I think it's tough to, like, I think some species even just keep it simple, right? Other turtle species, are they going to are they gonna be affected by red-eared sliders? It, it can be tough to quantify because there's so many factors at play. Like while the sliders right. showed up and the, the, uh, the population of painted turtles went down. Yeah. Well, but the painted turtles are also getting run over a lot. Uh, like how do you quantify exactly what it is? Probably had something to do with it, but you know, science, right. science takes a long time to, to figure that out and prove that. And that's something that, that, um, that, that fascinates me a little bit. I think, Probably the the worst species to be outcompeted by red ear sliders is probably the western pond turtle in in California and out west. I, I I there's not a lot again to prove that, but in keeping both species, I think that that Pacific pond turtles, western pond turtles are like they're like racist. Like any turtle that's not them, they are they just do not do well if they're kept communally with any other species besides their own from what yeah. I can gather, which is really wild. And then you think yeah. about basking sites and stuff. Cause basking, a basking site is like a bus stop. Like turtles use it because it's there. They're there to use the resource. That doesn't mean that they're communal. Like I didn't go and sit at the bus stop next to this, next to this weird guy because I wanted to sit next to him. I'm there for the resource. So anyway, right. there's a lot of stuff that goes into all of that. So tough to, tough to know for sure. But um, yeah, they're, I think they're definitely here to stay, which is crazy. Oh yeah, um, for sure. It's yeah, it's kind of wild. Eventually, everything will be outlawed, and everybody will need an exhibitor, <laughs> exhibitor's permit or whatever it is to keep anything. You know, that it's um, probably it's it's definitely going to happen someday. Yeah, I yeah, I don't know when, but um, I'm sure it's going to happen eventually. Yeah, so we just have to do everything we can to do it the right way, right? Like, right. 
educate people. <coughs> sorry, I'm still getting over a cough. I was sick like three weeks ago. Uh, We're actually trying people. to be, oh, I'm sorry. No, please go ahead. We're actually trying to become accredited. Uh, we think that in the event that the laws do change um, and it becomes a little bit more difficult for us to be able to do education or to exhibit any of our animals by becoming accredited, we feel like that would help protect us from some of those laws. So we are aiming to try to be ZAA accredited. ZAA, wonderful. Mm -hmm. I was gonna, that was going to be my next question. Yeah, ZAA is just a little too expensive right now. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's all a money game, but but obviously great to show that you're committed to doing things the right way and yeah, bringing sure. people in from the outside that are, you know, uh, totally unaffiliated with your, your business to kind of take a look at things and see how things how things are. That's great. What are, um, that's a great example, but what are some, ex uh, is there anything else in terms of uh, goals, big goals for the future? Um, well, one of my biggest goals is, um, is to finish building all the exhibits. Um, Which ones so, aren't finished? They look good to me. <laughs> yeah, well, COVID hit us about halfway through the build. So we started building in late 2019 and uh, COVID hit in March of 2020 in Connecticut. So since I was building everything, most of the stuff myself, all my supply lines dried up. Um, so I, I really didn't have enough materials to finish anything. That's actually when I started on the outdoor air, turtle area. Um, my friend uh, brought his excavator down and we just started you know, building ponds and everything. Um, but the amphibians did not get finished when we opened in October of 2020. Um, they're about halfway done now. Um, I'm also very excited uh, that the Buffalo Zoo is actually going to loan us some hellbender salamanders. Wow. Um, so I have to start building that enclosure as well soon, hopefully. Uh, and the um, I always want to do invertebrate display because um, I love bugs and insects and arachnids. And uh, so I have to, I got like, I call it my mini Home Depot in that wing of the, of the center because that's where all my power equipment is. That's where all my materials are. Um, but that's going to be converted into the invertebrate area, uh, oh. aka the bug cave amazing yeah. i know what you're talking i've been back there that's yeah I know what you're talking about yeah awesome that's so, really cool so we're going to do um tarantulas and scorpions um i'm gonna try to get an ant colony there maybe that's uh, big right now ants are like the new isopods that's gonna <laughs> yeah, be a new they, thing yeah they are they are I want maybe like a leaf cutter ant colony yeah. um stick bugs beetles Giant centipede. I love centipedes. I'm a huge centipede fan. I like those cockroaches. Big... Oh, yep. Emily is a. Is you a like cockroach cockroaches, fan. but not frogs. I love cockroaches. You are the most fascinating person. That's so weird. I know. Oh my god. I love cockroaches. I don't know why. They're so cool. You're whipping Brian into shape. You <laughs> smile when you get bit by snakes, and you love cockroaches. This is. Yep. You could ask Emily about her, her domino and her question mark roach colony. Yeah, I, I have you. two personal colonies of roaches, the question marks and the dominoes. They're so cute. I just, I like holding them and just watching them. They're like oh. this comical little domino running around. They're super cute. I, I feel I like maybe you don't like cockroaches. Really? No, I don't. Anthony, you don't like cockroaches? I don't. So <laughs> I, I grew up in low-income housing where, like, cockroaches were, like, the norm. Little, you know, the little uh, yeah. brown ones. German cockroaches, whatever they're called. The little yeah, ones. Yeah. And 
they were just like public enemy number one. Like you had to clean every inch of your house to make sure that like the neighbor's cockroaches didn't come in. And I don't know. I tried them because they're so great. I tried like, like um, dubias because they're so great uh, for your animals. <coughs> Excuse me. But um, I just, it's like, I don't, it's like if a cockroach got a thousand times larger and stronger and they just like, when they walk on you, they're so strong and you can't like, they're just grabbing onto you. Oh God. Well, when you come back to visit us, you'll have to meet some of our our cockroaches. Uh, I'll look, I'll look at someone else's. I just don't want to have to be responsible for them. Like you got, you got to have to feed these things that I don't like. You Uh, have to hold one. (laughs) I also had, um, this is a story that's been told. Actually, this is a story that my wife heard for the first time on the podcast many years ago. Uh, I, I got when I got my first leaf turtles ever. Somebody brought uh, the enclosure with them, and when I brought it home, it's because I didn't want to set them up in something new. If they came in their enclosure, they were being driven. They could be like in their enclosure that they knew and transition right in that enclosure because it's so small. And uh, I set it up, and then I saw a bug crawl out and I'm like, Oh God, what is that? Turns out a cockroach, like the type that are down South. So really hardy, really fast, not like a dubia that's not going to climb things. And then for, until we sold that house, there were cockroaches in the basement the entire time. So, cause I had turtles down there, like tons of turtles. I can't, I couldn't, I tried so many times. I thought I eradicated them. You can't like bomb the area. Like it's it. They're just uh, there. Once you, you get know? those things, they're they're yeah. there to stay. You got release. You should have released some geckos in your in your basement. That would have helped. I know. When I do, I'm I'm putting in a greenhouse next, and when I do that, I want to have some free roaming lizards that can't survive here, but would survive in the greenhouse to take care of some bugs and stuff. And you need maybe, to get some uh, some house geckos. I'm I'm excited about that piece. Actually, it'd be cool. Yeah, yeah. I've I haven't kept lizards since college, so that'd be a lot of fun. I uh, I had house geckos here for a while because I had a uh, New Guinea legless lizards and they only ate other lizards. So I had a friend of mine from Florida send me a bunch of house geckos, and he didn't package them really well. So when I opened it up, like geckos just sprung out of the box everywhere <laughs> in my basement. And two years after I moved everything out of my house into the center, we still see house geckos every now and then in our house. Wow, that's awesome. I had, I had one last year outside uh, by my uh, light eating moths that were coming to my light. And then they wow. crawl back and crawl back through the vent back into the house. And I, and I, I haven't seen one in a while, but that's I wouldn't incredible. be surprised. Yeah, See, that I can go like. for, right? Because that's cool. And I'm sorry, Emily. I, I appreciate you so much. I'm, I'm your biggest fan. But I married a woman who studied fashion merchandising in college like roaches <laughs> in the house are not they're just not going to fly you know yeah, cool. it's a sad reality lizards probably not either but maybe roaches really absolutely even not. a lizard they're so cute though I, I, I mean i agree i agree but what, what can you do you know and it's it's funny to bring that up the, the old podcast story because the podcast has been around for a really long time and and i'll just take this moment to say Next month is our 10-year anniversary. February 23rd, 2013 was the first show that we ever did. And we've been doing this for 10 years now. So we're going to celebrate next month. We'll have John Weir, 
who is uh, my my lifelong best friend. We played college basketball together, and um, he and I started the podcast together once upon a time. So he's going to come on, and and it'll be John and myself and and Emily, and then maybe maybe Kevin will be there. I know uh, Matthew in the chat said that he missed Kevin's face. I do too. We all do. He has a very he has a very nice face. So uh, right. it's it's about time we should start wrapping up here. I just want to say thank you so much, Brian, uh, for joining us. And it's been really nice to get to know Emily a little bit more, too. So now in the future, as people are seeing her on the show more, you can kind of know more about how things work for her at, uh, at, at Riverside Reptiles. Is there anything else that, that you'd like anyone to know, our audience to know, our very turtle-centric audience to know? Yeah, uh, come and visit us. Uh, we're at 132 <laughs> South Road, Enfield, Connecticut. We're also on Facebook. Instagram, uh, TikTok. I have a YouTube channel that's up and coming. It's not huge yet. I kind of did it the reverse. I I opened up my reptile zoo and then I went on to YouTube, whereas <laughs> some other people became YouTube famous and they're like, oh, I got lots of money. I'm going to open a reptile zoo. Um, I kind of did it the, the wrong way. I would recommend becoming YouTube famous first so you have, <laughs> so you have the money to do this. Yeah. Um, instead of uh, bringing your very awesome business proposal to banks that don't give you money. Right. Um, but yeah, come visit us. Come check us out. Uh, if I'm around, I'd be more than happy to, uh, to talk to you and uh, you can pick my brain. And if you're a turtle keeper, or I'm always willing to learn more stuff about <clears throat> keeping other animals. So come and say hello. That's great. I, I, I've got a lot of hope for you with with youtube i used to make videos they're not good they're still up please don't judge me <laughs> but uh chris leone from garden state tortoise is, yeah, is yeah. a friend and he's a, a, a was a you know a host on the podcast um who, who emily replaced we're really excited about that chris is chris is old news anyway i'm just kidding chris is chris chris has a, a, is is so busy with youtube now and for years i would tell him you need to be doing this and after seeing you in action with my kids and those other kids, I can tell you, you need to be doing that because yeah. you have the ability to educate and then you have all these incredible animals just right there in, in a really nice setting. Like, uh, um, oh, what the heck is his name? The ball python person who does the... Re Brian, Re Bar Brian Barch. Not, not him. Um, the one who does uh, the Searchable as Reptiles podcast with Garrett Hartle. What the heck is his name, Brian? Too. Dang. There's a lot of Brian I, reptiles. I know. Yeah. I know. Well, you know. <laughs> that's that's uh, weird. I know. Um, anyway, he used to do a series called like Snakes in the Grass, and he would take a snake out. <coughs> excuse me. Outside in the grass and talk about it for a minute or whatever. And I always thought, you know, that's because you're a rack keeper, and you're taking the snake out now to show people in a nice setting. And now it's like the theme, but you just got away from not having to show your same setups all the time in your same space. You have the setups, you have the incredible animals, and you have the skill. Like all the hard work is already done, you know, the, yeah. all the stuff that all these people don't have. They don't have substance. They don't have, you know, they may, they're just unboxing videos and stuff like that. You guys have such yeah. amazing things going on. It makes so much sense to me. Thank you. Yeah, we'll, we'll definitely get we'll definitely get it done. We'll get we'll get a, some a, more YouTube videos uh, up and uh, on our channel pretty soon. I look forward to it. I'm going to watch everyone. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks for 
Thanks for, thanks for being here. Thanks for putting up with my lingering cough that decided to come back today. Uh, really, really appreciate it, guys. And uh, look forward to having you on again to talk about updates in the future. And I look forward yeah. to the next time that I get to see you guys at Riverside. Anytime. Thanks, Anthony. Thank you. Thanks.